Well, it's good to be back with you all. I think it's been about a month since I've actually been able to be in my own Sunday school community for one reason or another. Guest missionaries, pulpit supply, substituting for other Sunday schools, so it's good to be back and with you all. Uh, Kirby has been doing the brunt of the teaching uh, for the last uh, several months with Bill stepping in for the last several weeks from what I've seen, and uh, it seems that Kirby would like me to pick up a few lessons, and I thought, that's great. I'd, I, I'd love to come back and teach my own Sunday school And then I I looked at the passage that he wanted me to teach, and I realized that I just got played a little bit. Uh, We're going to be looking at uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 2, and I'll I'll read the passage for us. Let me just say from the outset, uh, I do not intend to solve the many questions uh, that people have puzzled over on this text in the course of 20 minutes, 25 minutes this, this morning. Uh, but I, I do think there are some helpful things that we can learn from this text, and I'll seek to draw those out uh, without resolving uh, probably the main question concerning what should women wear at church. Uh, so let's read the scriptures. Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of every wife, the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, but every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. But women and but woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head, because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it is a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it is for her glory." It is her glory, for her hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. Amen. What on earth is Paul talking about? Uh, Most of you know before I came to this church, before I... Uh, went to seminary, I worked for one of those three-letter agencies uh, that listens on people's communications. And uh, I bring this up because I think we have this sort of situation going on. Oftentimes, when I was working as a translator, we would receive correspondence, but we would not have the whole conversation. We would only have half of it. And it was a correspondence happening in a foreign language, existing in a foreign culture, and much of the job of the analyst was to to translate and interpret what was, what was received 
without having all the pieces and the parts. It's like trying to say what a puzzle is of, but you only have the outer edges. Uh, or if you've ever received a forwarded email or been CC'd into a conversation via email after many emails have already been exchanged, you, you don't have all the details. And this is really our situation with the whole of the book of 1 Corinthians, but especially in this part, uh, we are dealing with a letter sent by Paul to the church that is in response uh, to reports he's received from Chloe and these other women uh, concerning mostly things that are going maybe wrong in the church, places where they need some correction, some instruction on, on what to do. And so we have Paul's reply, but we don't have the original sent email. And that makes our task as interpreters of the scripture much more challenging. That's exacerbated by the fact that this is happening in a culture uh, that is, frankly, quite foreign to us. None of us grew up in Rome. None of us grew up in a, a city of a Roman empire. Uh, and this, this is why this text, I think, is fraught with many difficulties, not the least of which is, who is it even talking about? Uh, you're, if you're using an ESV, you probably see it translated over here, uh, you know, husbands and wives over and over again. Unfortunately, from a linguistic standpoint, that's an interpretive decision. We don't know if this is husbands and wives or just men and women. And what is he talking about? Is he talking about a, the hair being a covering or a covering over the hair? Uh, and is this something that is limited to the Corinthian cultural context, or is it something that transcends the Corinthian culture, uh, either uh, exactly as it stands, that is, hair or head coverings, or there, are there at least some implications from his arguments that should have uh, application to us today? So there's, there's a lot going on here, many questions that need to be answered, and I, I won't even pretend to be able to answer them definitively in this period of time. My goal here is to walk us briefly through this text and to highlight just a few helpful uh, principles uh, that I think are important as we try to understand this text. So let's look at the first few verses. Paul says in verse 2, Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I delivered them to you. And so Paul here is responding uh, to their, their concerns. He's going to respond to their concerns in just a moment. But before he does, he wants to praise them. He wants to commend them. This is, uh, this is sort of the, uh, the carrot before the stick type situation, right? He, he wants to, to sweeten them up a little bit, right? Uh, he's saying something positive about them because he's about to say something um, that is critical of them. Uh, but important to this first verse, even before we get into the controversy of head coverings or no head coverings, we have this question of traditions. What does Paul mean by traditions? Because our Roman Catholic uh, uh, folks will, will argue that this is one of the main texts that say that there is a, a, an unwritten verbal tradition uh, that comes from the apostles that is not recorded in Scripture, and it becomes their, their basis for arguing for all sorts of uh, of traditions that they hold uh, as being authoritative uh, in, in the church. Uh, the only problem with that is that Paul has received his tradition from somewhere else. Where, where, where did Paul get what he gave to others? Christ. From Jesus Christ, yes. And so just to dispense very briefly, it's not the main point of this text, but when it comes to the question of, of tradition, 
Protestants have historically maintained uh, the doctrine of sola scriptura, scripture alone. We've not absolutely dispensed with the role of tradition. We, if you've been to worship service already, we confess from a Westminster Confession of Faith. We confess the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed. And so we make use of church tradition, but only insofar as it is grounded upon and agrees with Scripture. Uh, and so there is no place for Roman Catholic traditions that have no root in the Scripture uh, and are actually in many places contrary to it. Uh, so that's sort of a historical, theological aside. Uh, Paul has received his traditions from Jesus Christ, and as an apostle, it has been his job uh, to commend those things, to teach those things to the Corinthians, and here he, he, he praises them for keeping them, holding fast to them, uh, and that's a good thing. Uh, and by traditions, he simply means here the doctrines and practices of the church, what we are to believe and what we are to do. And he's going to get into some of those, actually, in this section of the Scripture. He's about to speak on the Lord's Supper after this. That would be one of those traditions. It was given by Christ to the apostles, and he has taught the church to do the same. Certainly, we all do well uh, to receive uh, from generation to generation uh, the apostolic tradition that has been recorded for us in God's word. Well, moving forward, he says, but I want you to understand. So here's the, here's the, here's the pivot, right? I commend you, I praise you, but I want you to understand. What does Paul want the Corinthians to understand? That the head of every man is Christ, the head of, his wife, of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Okay. And so we have the very beginning of a play on words, which again, it's already hard enough to understand these things. It's harder when Paul's being kind of clever, right? Because he's talking about heads, and he's going to go on to talk about head coverings uh, or the coverings of the head. Uh, and so there's a play on word here that just makes things more complicated. But the principle here is that there is a relationship in creation, right? Uh, whatever else head may mean, people argue uh, head refers to the preeminence. Uh, others will argue that it refers to sort of the source uh, and others will argue that it refers to authority. And the reality is I don't think you can really divide those things. God is preeminent because he has made man, uh, and he has authority over man because he has made him, and man is from the source of God, right? And the same thing, it works through. There. But the, the, the principle is clear enough that there is a, a, an established creational relationship between God and, and Christ and man uh, and woman, right? And so he says, the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife or a woman is her man, husband here. It's an interpreted, I think it's a right interpretation, by the way, even though it is an interpretation to make it about marriage, uh, the marriage relationship, not men and women broadly. It's an interpretation, but I think it's a necessary one. Um, and the head of Christ is God. Now, again, theological issues all over this text because we have to ask ourselves in what sense is God the head of Christ well we know it's a father son relationship but especially if we understand this is speaking to authority in what sense is Christ under the authority of the father some people will run with this text and say that Christ is eternally subordinate to the father uh, at all times 
that that's inherent in the father-son relationship. The problem with that is that we believe that God the Father and God the Son are equal in power and glory uh, and dignity and all these things. Uh, really, we understand this part uh, in the context of the incarnation, right? Uh, in the created order, where Christ has taken on a body and a nature like ours, uh, the Father is his head in that sense, in terms of authority. And that becomes sort of a model, right, for the rest of us. Uh, there is, I do think this is talking about authority. The head of a wife is her husband. The head of Christ uh, is of God. Uh, the head of every man is Christ. There is, there's a, 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 an order of relationship and an authority in that relationship uh, that is intrinsic to the way God has created all things. Uh, and so this becomes his sort of preliminary remark establishing this principle of related order uh, and authority and, and, and uh, preeminence in that. But then he goes on, he says, and every man who prays or prophecies with his head covered dishonors his head, but every wife who prays or prophecies, prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. He's going to go into an argument, an inductive argument here. Basically, he's making a clear distinction. That's obvious enough to us, right? Men and women doing the same thing, and yet there is a distinction in what they should be doing as they do it. Both prophesying, both praying, yet one, it seems, is to be covered and the other to be uncovered. And we might ask ourselves, well, aren't, I mean, didn't, didn't Paul himself say that there is neither male nor female? And so we might, from that verse, infer that the gospel freedom that we have in Christ has destroyed any real distinction between the genders. And this verse would militate against that wrong assumption because it is true that we are all free in the gospel, male and female. The distinction has been collapsed with regard to who has uh, has access uh, to the gospel promises, these sorts of things, we're equal in that regard. And yet here, in terms of public worship especially, uh, a distinction is still maintained between man and woman. Now, we have to ask the question, why is it, why is it dishonorable to his head if a man prays or prophesies with his head covered? And this is where one of those cultural considerations has to come in. What is inherently dishonorable about covering your head in praying and prophecy as a man uh, and that is not dishonorable for a, a, a woman or a wife to do it? Uh, this is one of those hard questions of the text. I, the best answer that I could find has to do with Roman practices of pagan worship, which is, would fit the context of much of what Paul's been talking about, is that in pagan worship in Roman times, it was the habit of men uh, to cover their head uh, in worship. Uh, and Paul is trying to, to make a clear distinction uh, that this is, we, we, our worship is not to look like the pagan practices. Um, the alternative explanation has to do with uh, Moses and the, 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 the prayer kind of covering that he had a veil uh, with his speaking to God. I think that makes less sense. Uh, but it seems to me that the cultural context would explain that the reason why it's shameful uh, for a man to cover his head during prayer and prophesying uh, is because it's a co-opting of pagan worship practices uh, 
into the church. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. And notice that, the, again, the, relation, the principle of relationship is really important here. Regardless of how we understand the, the details, what we do as men and women reflects back on our head. As men, if we are importing pagan practices into our worship, we are dishonoring our true God. And similarly, Paul's going to go on to say that that when women do not conduct themselves in an appropriate manner, whatever that may be, the shame is connected back to their head, which Paul says is their husband. Now, some people are going to get frustrated about this because they think that Paul is somehow denying uh, the, the intrinsic equality of men and women here. Why, why does he say, you know, God or Christ is the, the, the head of man and uh, the, the, woman, uh, the woman's head is man? Why, why does he say that when we're all in Christ and we're all created in the image of God? Is Paul somehow denying those truths? And the answer is absolutely not. Paul's not denying that we're both made in, male and female in the image of God. But he, he is saying that there is an order in creation and society uh, of headship here in terms of authority. Uh, and we are to not militate against these distinctions. I think this, whether you believe you should, should wear head coverings or not, uh, this text is hugely important at the very basic principle of gender distinctions. We live in a culture uh, that is completely blurred male and female and wants to remove the distinctions between those things, not because of some purported you know, idea of equality in, in Christ and the, you know, the biblical you know, kind of reasons, uh, but because they, they want to rail against the natural order of creation because they hate God. And Paul is saying, no, that there, are, there is a fundamental equality, and yet there is a, 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 a hierarchy, a rank, a, a preeminence, uh, that exists within the gender relationships of husband and wife uh, as it is with Christ and, and, and man and God even in Christ. Uh, and, and so the very basic principle, we are to maintain the distinction between genders. We, we are not to blur these lines. Part of the cultural context that's going on here also uh, is, is likely the issue of, uh, of, of Roman homosexual habits of effeminizing themselves, uh, and it was a sign uh, in that culture of being a homosexual to grow out your hair long, right? And so that's not a, necessarily a universal thing, but his point is there, there's this blurring of gender lines even in Corinth, and he's telling them to stop it, maintain the gender distinction between man and woman. Uh, it's important because God has made it. I'm pressing on a little further. He goes on to make this argument, for if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. Uh, I'll make the note note here that the word for covering as a noun, as an object, doesn't actually occur throughout the entire text until the very end, at which point it says the covering, the noun, the object covering is her hair. The rest of these ideas of being covered or uncovered are adjectival, okay? And so that leaves the question, what are they talking about? Is it, is it, a, is it a shawl or is it the hair? It's just saying st- the, the, the coming off of the head 
uh, is, is either, you know, it's covered or it's not covered. It's a status, it's a state, it's not the noun or the thing. Um, but he makes this argument for if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. And the, the, the induction here that he's doing, he's saying that this, you should do this except for that it's a shame to do this. So he's correlating the, covered, of the coveredness of the head with the, the shearing or the shaving of the head in that if you're not going to cover your head with hair or a head covering, whatever it may be, uh, then it would be better to cut your hair uh, and shear yourself, you know, to shave yourself, except for that that's, that itself is shameful. And so if that's shameful, you can't do that. And so what should you do? You should cover your head. And, and why then, we must ask, would it be shameful for a wife or a woman to shave or shear her head? If it's a shame for men to have long hair uh, because of the, the issue of blurring gender distinctions and perhaps uh, being a sign of homosexuality, if it's a shame for them to cover their head uh, in worship because of the pagan practices associated with it, why is it shameful for a woman uh, to shear or shave her head? Well, it's one of the worst things in Roman culture that could happen to a wife is to have her, her head shaved as some form of punishment, perhaps, uh, is one case, uh, or, or some sort of public disgrace. Uh, this was what was associated with having a shaved or shorn head uh, in Corinthian culture. And so it, it indicates you know, the, a, a low status, whether as a servant or as a slave or somebody who's been publicly disgraced, and to, to put that on yourself would then reflect obviously poorly back on your husband because then you're wondering, well, why is your wife publicly disgraced? Why is she, you know, putting herself, why does why her head reflect some sort of low status if it's not actually the case? But since it is disgraceful for a wife to cut off her hair or shave her head, let her cover her head. And this is, this is one of the reasons why people argue that this is probably a, a head covering because it doesn't make sense, you know, to say, well, you shave your head off or shear your 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 hair off, and that's that's bad. But you, so you should cover it. It doesn't it doesn't really make sense. Uh, but for a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image of glory and the glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. And so again, there's this this idea of uh, of relational connectedness. When God has created us male and female, in relationship one with another, and we are to preserve that distinction because failing to do so reflects back on those to whom we are connected by a relationship to, uh, if that's not muddled enough. But he's going to go, if at this point you're wondering, well, is this Paul just being a misogynist? Is he subjugating women and saying, you know, you know, boo women, yay man, we're free. Women, you know, women are, you know, in captivity. That's really not what he's getting at all. He's going he's gonna to qualify his statement so far. Neither, in verse 9, neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of uh, authority over her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, he's going to get to this qualification. Um, Neither that was man created for woman, neither was woman for man. This is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. This is probably the most difficult verse in this whole passage. What, what on earth? Because of the angels? 
what does that mean? And frankly, nobody knows. Uh, you, you read a dozen commentators, and there are some, again, you have the language issue. Angel can mean angelic host, or it can just mean messengers. So is he talking about angelic hosts? In that case, perhaps what Paul is saying is that uh, these angelic hosts are present our worship. We, we're worshiping God. We're, we're ascending uh, into heavenly spiritual Jerusalem, and the heavenly hosts surround us, and they're, they're seeing that, and it would be you know, uh, uh, a disgrace for women not to do whether the long hair or the head covering because the angels in their position see it and say, you know, why are you railing against the created order? Perhaps that's what's going on. Or perhaps it's referring to earthly messengers and saying, y'all are violating common, you know, just common sense decorum of maintaining gender distinctions, and that's coming back, and it's, it's bearing bad reputation from, the, uh, from what people are seeing in the church, and, and they go and give their reports either to Paul or maybe civil magistrates have reporters in these church finding out what's going on, and, and that reputation goes back, and it's not good. You know, you imagine if people all came to church and we were doing something really just civically improper. You know, I mean, you, you hear the, 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 the criticism so often in the early church, you read church history, they're cannibals, right? Because they're eating the Lord's Supper, right? Um, uh, they're, they're having orgies because of a misunderstanding of the love feasts, uh, of, the, uh, of these sorts of things in the church. All sorts of rumors spreading from the church uh, because people are there observing as messengers going back and reporting things they don't understand. So maybe that's the case, either angelic hosts uh, or messengers. But the point is, somebody's there watching, and the report's not going to be good. Uh, and so uh, that's why this needs to be an issue taken care of. Nevertheless, so this is where he goes to qualify his, his words. Nevertheless, in the Lord, women is not independent of man or uh, a man of woman, for a woman was made from man. So man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. And so sort of qualifying what he said about the natural relationship and the order in those natural relationships and the distinction that should be preserved, he goes on to, to make this statement sort of to, to, to prevent us from having any wrong misunderstandings, as if women didn't matter, as if, this, as if they, their, their labors in the church, as if their ministry in the church uh, was somehow lesser. And he, he says, don't misunderstand me in this way. Woman is not independent of man. We, we have a dependency, um, woman to man, nor man of woman. And so even though there is distinction and there is uh, an order of, uh, of preeminence and authority and rank, uh, and yet there is a mutual dependency between wife and husband, uh, that Paul wants to, to, to emphasize here to, to say women matter. Women in the church, their ministry to the church, as they're praying, as they're prophesying, all of which is going back to Joel 2 and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. He's saying this matters. It's significant, and we need to preserve uh, that without uh, abusing it. Uh, but there's a mutual interdependence of man and woman, uh, husband and wife. Uh, and he explains this in part, saying, so man is now born of woman. Yes, man was first in creation, and then God created woman second, so in terms of order, she is second, 
Uh, and in terms of purpose, her primary purpose is to be a helper to Adam, and so there is a, 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 a difference uh, in terms of the specific nature of her call, uh, and yet now man is born of woman, and so neither can exist separate from the other. You know, if, we, if we destroy gender distinctions and we do not maintain biblical order, what happens? Everything will fall apart uh, because we are mutually dependent one on another. Yes? Yeah, I got a question. So, mm-hmm. in other words, I mean, the head covering, I guess, is mm-hmm. the cultural symbol that yeah. reflects the biblical principle mm-hmm. of male mm-hmm. headship, yeah. male submission. Yeah. So, the cultural stuff has changed, obviously, yeah. over, over years. I mean, head covering yeah. is common. But what symbol do we have in the church yeah. that reflects that principle of male headship and female submission? Yeah, yeah it's a very good question. It's the practical question of this text that it's hard to answer, right? Uh, I, I do think as we wrap up, I know we haven't quite gotten through it, um, and perhaps I'll try to finish up next time as we wrap up in three minutes. I, I think the the clear teaching of this text, regardless of coverings or no coverings, is is the, the distinction between male and female is to be maintained. The relationality between those two is to be maintained. The order in that relationality is to be maintained because this is how God has created all things. The The symbol of that distinction in the Corinthian context appears to have been some sort of shawl on the head uh, that was used uh, at least in the context of prayer and prophesying. Uh, What now in our culture signifies that? Uh, Well, many of the same things, frankly. Um, I I, I do not think it's so far to say, and Paul's going to talk about nature a little bit later, uh, but he's going to say, you know, long long hair is, is... associated with femininity and short hair is associated with masculinity and that's not true for every culture absolutely but it is sort of the way of things and in our culture certainly it is the case it, it, it's not true for every culture right and there and samson actually is is specifically an exception right he, he i mean he's specifically an exception um but yeah yeah mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think there's certainly an application there. That the main principle is one of 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 honoring a man is to honor Christ in his context uh, conduct. A, a wife is to honor her husband in her conduct, whatever it may be. Um, you know, simple symbols in our culture of I'm married it would be something like a ring, right? Um, I don't think the point so much is the specific symbol, uh, which may be driven largely by a cultural context, but the maintaining of the distinction between man and woman and the relational honor that we pay one to another by conducting ourselves in a masculine or feminine way. And there are visible signs that are going to reflect that. Um, I worked at Walmart in Greenville for a year and a half, and I can't count the number of times I saw men wearing dresses, even in the Bible Belt. Okay? The cropping of hair in our culture heavily associated with lesbianism, right? And so these are cultural things, uh, but the reason why anti-biblical subcultures tend to adopt contrarian styles of dress or of grooming it is because of a heart that rails against God and the created order. And there are certainly cultures where long hair would have been contextually normal for a, a man. And I don't think the Bible forbids that in any way. Uh, but what's very clear is whatever in 
nature distinguishes in your culture the distinction between man and woman. We are not to dispense with just of, because of some presumption that we're all the same in Christ. We are equal in Christ, but that does not destroy the distinction uh, between our relationships. I, I, I hesitate to offer an opportunity for questions, but I, to, <laughs> to be fair, uh, I will open it. Just one. We only have time for one. Any questions? I don't promise an answer. Yes. There's always the potentiality for a rabbinical context. Nothing in my studies came across anything specifically related to that, except for the question of um, Moses's prayer veil uh, in the context of uh, of the Old Testament. But it wasn't a major point of interpretation in this particular case. So, let me leave you with that. Maintain gender distinctions. Recognize your relationship and how you conduct yourself bears back on your head, whether as a wife to your husband or as a husband to Christ. Certainly all of us under God, uh, our conduct as Christians matters. Uh, We should seek to submit ourselves to God's created order, uh, especially in the ways uh, that are appropriate in our culture. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for uh, your people and for your word, and I pray uh, that Uh, There were some helpful thoughts here uh, from your word, truths, principles that we can live by. I pray, Lord, that you would help us uh, to take Paul's words seriously, to not be contentious about these issues, uh, Lord, uh, but to bear one another uh, with grace. And, uh, Lord, I pray uh, that we'd have a spirit of charity uh, when it comes to differing convictions on a passage like this, Lord, that we would not uh, be unkind uh, to those uh, who hold differing positions, but that we would all... Uh, do what is clearly required in your word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.